Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. And we're in Revelation chapter 3. We, we're going to take a look at the first six verses of Revelation 3, and I'm going to do it a little bit differently from what we've been doing recently. I've been breaking it down. Pastor Dan's been breaking it down into bite-sized chunks. I'm going to take the whole thing and read it. We're going to read it all the way through tonight to begin Revelation 3, 1 to 6, and then we'll break it down. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me. Dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is an interesting church, especially following, following on the four previous churches that we've looked at here in the book of Revelation as we've gone through these seven congregations in Asia Minor. Pastor Dan had a map up for us last week, but uh, picture modern-day Turkey. You've got seven uh, cities and villages near the western end of Turkey on the Greece side, and, and they are all places where there are Christian churches. And in the first four, we've heard that there's been opposition to the Christian faith. There's been trouble and hardship and even persecution in some cases. These are churches that have been facing adversity. And one of the very first things I want you to do is take a peek back over what we just read, because one of the most interesting things about what we just read and why I had us read the whole thing is there's something missing in these six verses that we've seen with all the other four churches so far. And that is any mention of persecution or adversity of any kind. This is a church that apparently for the for the lack of mentioning it, it was in Sardis in a relatively comfortable position that that people apparently accepted them as christians Uh, they were not pushed away they were not sidelined by the fact that they were christians they were able to do their business it didn't seem like really there was much adversity at all for them to face and this really got me thinking because i i think that there's a lot that has been in common, that is in common with this church 2,000 years ago in Sardis, and what has up until very recently, now things are changing, but up until very recently been the situation for the Christian church in the United States. That in general, 
Our Christian faith has been acceptable to others, even admirable in some cases to others. And in some ways, some of the things that have been said to this church in Sardis are very, very relevant and pertinent to some of the challenges that we're now facing as Christians in the United States because, in some ways, the lack of adversity that we've faced, the lack of persecution that we've faced here, has maybe caused us to do something similar as the church in Sardis. Now, I want to I point out words that repeat themselves in here, and I, and I actually wrote one instance of it, Revelation 3, 2a. Do you see it there? Two simple words. What, what's Jesus' message for this congregation in Sardis? There it is. You can see it on the slide. Wake up. That what's happened because things have been relatively easy and comfortable, not too much persecution, if any, not not too much hardship is in their faith. This congregation as a whole and many individuals have, in essence, fallen asleep. And here's what we're going to be talking about tonight, is when our faith gets beaten up by the problem of apathy. You see, the devil really knows us. And he knows that sometimes he can discourage us by having the people around us attack us, by having us us face all kinds of adversity in our lives. But he also knows that the exact opposite tactic works very well too. Leave them alone. Let them be comfortable. Let them not face any persecution or adversity in life. And let's see what happens as they sort of snuggle into into their pillow. And get real, real comfy with life. And that's what apparently was going on in Sardis. And so here's our kind of challenging question. Is there any hope for this apathetic church in Sardis? Is there any hope if we, as a a church right here in Levine and South Phoenix, fall into a certain sense of apathy, of just, you know, not really getting how comfortable and how easy we've had it. Now, I want to share with you some research that I did. This, the title of this article is Atheists Have Their Number, How the Christian Right is Hastening Religion's Decline. I'm just going to read you a couple of paragraphs. Of those aged 18 to 35, 3 in 10 say they are not affiliated with any religion while only half are absolutely certain a God exists. This is 18 to 35. This is the the youngest generation of adults. These are at or near the highest levels of religious disaffiliation recorded for any generation in the 25 years the Pew Center has been polling on these topics. As encouraging as this data is for secular humanists, the actual numbers may be significantly higher As columnist Tina Dupuy observes, when it comes to self-reporting religious devotion, Americans cannot be trusted. We underestimate our calories, overstate our height, underreport our weight, and when it comes to piety, we lie like a prayer rug. That's her observation. 
Every piece of social data suggests that those who favor faith and superstition over fact-based evidence will become the minority in this country by or before the end of this century. In fact, the number of Americans who do not believe in a deity doubled in the last decade of the previous century, according to the 2004 census. With religious non-belief in the United States rising from 8.2% in 1990 to 14.2% in 2001, in 2013, that number is now 16%. If current trends continue, the crossing point whereby atheists, agnostics, and nuns, we've mentioned the nuns before, these are people who on a survey are asked, what's your affiliation to a church or a congregation or a religion or a faith? They check the box that says, none. I'm not affiliated to any religion, faith, or church. They're termed nuns now. Atheists, agnostics, and nuns equals the number of Christians in this country. The year where that tip happens is the year 2062. If that gives you reason to celebrate, thinking, wow, that's still far off, consider this. By the year 2130, the average, the, the percentage of Americans who identify themselves as Christians will probably equal a little more than 1%. To put that into perspective, today roughly 1% of the population is Muslim. I'm convinced that this is very much what Jesus was worried about in Sardis. Was that because the Christians there had sort of settled in and gotten comfortable, that the idea of loving others the way Christ has first loved us, the idea of sharing Christ with others had gone by the wayside. That, it, that it, they had in their apathy lost their appetite and their desire and their drive to share the love of Christ and share the gospel of Christ with people around them. And so I want to dive into some things because I think it's very important for, for me to read an article like this. Take a look at what it says in the book of Romans 13 and 11. And do this, and I want you to underline these words, understanding the present time. It's so important, the Bible tells us, for us to understand the situation in which we're in. This is what Jesus wanted for the church at Sardis. Understand the situation that you're in. That's what Jesus wants for you and me today. Understand the situation that you're in. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. What Jesus is saying is that as much as we may think we've got all the time in the world, the reality is he has promised to return and he will return. And what are we going to do with this time of grace that we've been given? All of us have been given individually as a church. We've been given this amazing time to enjoy and appreciate God's love, God's forgiveness, God's mercy. And then to share all of those with others. What are we going to do with that? Well, I want to tee off a little bit on that understanding the present time. And here's what I want you to write down. I really believe that. We need to understand and recognize the circumstances that foster apathy in any church. They were there in Sardis, and we're going to show how exactly they came about in Sardis. 
And if we can understand the circumstances that encourage and sort of feed and foster apathy, yes, there's hope. That the, the answer to the question, is there hope for an apathetic church? It starts, that hope starts with being able to see apathy on the way. So the very first one is what we talked about at the outset of this message. Take a look at what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. What? We glory in our sufferings? We're happy when we're in pain? Masochist. What's he mean? We also glory in our sufferings. Because, and this is important, we know that suffering, adversity, even persecution produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character produces what? Hope. In other words, going through adversity can be a very healthy thing for us, especially in the spiritual realm, because the end result of facing adversity while walking hand in hand with Christ And knowing that he always is in control and has control over his world and has love for you will, in the long run, even if it's painful today, in the long run, it's going to produce hope. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And if we walk through adversity, taking heart, Trusting that Jesus has overcome the world, at the end of the day, it will produce hope in us. And frankly, if we don't face adversity, watch out for apathy. When I was um, when I was in grade school, I I really didn't have to do any homework, and the grades just came for me. And uh, it was it was kind of nice. I I would just go to school and and uh, play sports and. You know, scratch out a few little problems uh, each night, go back to school, uh, belong to the National Junior Honor Society. Awesome. And I thought I could take that same approach when I became a freshman in high school. Until I got my very first report card, the first quarter of my first year in high school, and all these very fancy honors courses that I had signed myself up for, and there were the first F's that I had ever received in my entire life. Because I had never faced adversity in trying to have to obtain grades in school. And I'm not even saying that's because I was all that brilliant. I think it was just because my teachers... They they weren't putting much homework on any of us. But when I got to high school, things changed. And it actually took me three years to recover from that. Because I missed important stuff at the beginning of my freshman year that continued to hurt me until late in my junior and in my senior year where I was able to get my grades back to where my mom expected them to be. And it took a lot of work. The lack of adversity in grade school had set me up to be completely apathetic about the right things that I needed for success in high school. And that can work in any way. 
And, and frankly, we live in a very comfortable world here. Very comfortable. And as much as we still face adversity, and we all do, there are still things that are going to happen to us. Living in the wealthiest nation on earth, it's easy to convince ourselves that things are not very bad, that things are sort of sterile and clean. Even, even when someone dies in our society, we have a way of purifying and cleansing that and, and making that kind of just go away to the side very, very quickly. And so not facing adversity is something that we need to be careful about. He goes on, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. These were people, in other words, in Sardis, who were believing their own press clippings. And what we, what we think was probably happening, and why this is being said, is that on the outside, this was a very energetic congregation. They were working hard. They were doing some good things. And anybody looking at them from the outside would have said, man, that church is really alive, but they had lost something at the core. Probably the why. Probably the who are we doing this for? And, and why do we want to show love and, and work hard to build a church and to share the gospel? You see, it's easy for things to just become rote and routine and ritual. And we keep on spinning those things out, but... We're only doing it by rote and routine and ritual, and we've lost the heart of it. And that's what probably was happening in Sardis as well. There was no real passion or love for Christ represented in their rote ritual routines. And that's something for every church to watch out for too, because even today we can get into our routines and our rituals of doing things. We can sing our songs. We can pray our prayers, we can stand up, we can sit down, we can greet one another in service, and, and, and we get into those rituals and routines, and pretty soon we're serving on our team, we're meeting with our growth group, we're serving over in children's ministry, or in the band, or out on the patio, and it's just kind of become a dead act. Where we've lost the real why behind what we're doing. And this is what was apparently happening in Sardis. Turn your page. I want you to write this down. Sometimes we can get into denial about things and we're unwilling to face the reality and ask ourselves those deep questions. Why am I doing this? Am I really doing this out of gratitude for all that Jesus first did for me? I want you to write something down somewhere on a, a, a blank space because I think this, this is really the heart of what was going on in Sardis. They had lost sight of God's grace. Let me explain grace. Grace is when God loves you even though you've done nothing to earn his love. In fact, you may have done many things to despise God's love and send him packing the other way, and yet he doesn't go the other way from you. He, st- he keeps on coming toward you to embrace you, even though you've done things that are, are totally offensive to God. 
Grace is the fact that God loves you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. The Bible tells us God is love. And so he loves you and me out of his character, not as a response like most of us do. We love those who love us first. When we lose touch with this amazing God that loves us no matter what, then what's almost inevitably going to follow is we lose our gratitude. We get disconnected from God's grace that automatically almost unplugs us from an attitude that says, I, I, man, everything that I have is by the grace of God. I, I am so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to be trusting Jesus, to have a loving God in my life. And once we get disconnected from grace and gratitude, almost always apathy follows. And that's what he's really saying is happening here in Sardis. They somehow got disconnected. And frankly, again, in our society, I think we can see this where the, the message of Christianity is not about God's grace. The message of Christianity is tagged as a, a political message or a legal message that's all about doing the right things and following the commandments and, and being the right kind of person. The message of Christianity becomes about coming to church and Firmly making sure that your mask is in place so that nobody knows the true you because you wouldn't want them to know the true you. And so instead of coming as poor sinners, all of us who have our issues, all of us who need God's grace, all of us who need forgiveness and, and unconditional love, we come feeling like and thinking like we're bringing something to the table instead of we're accepting and receiving something from God. When we lose touch with God's grace, we lose touch with our gratitude, and when we lose touch with our gratitude, there's going to be a tendency for us to become apathetic. So that's the reality that I'm, that I'm telling you was happening in, in uh, Sardis, that they were unwilling to see that they were losing touch with God's, God's grace. And we have to understand when we face reality how many people don't even know about the grace of God. We're privileged to be here every week where a Bible is opened and God's grace is talked about. Jonathan talks about it, his forgive, uh, Jesus' forgiveness at the beginning of every service. Our music proclaims God's grace and forgiveness. The preaching is centered around God's grace and forgiveness. But do we realize how many people every day die? Do you know that Every day, 150,000 plus people die in our world. And that, in taking their last breath, they also have their last chance to hear about God's grace in Christ. Statistically, 56 million people die every year and their time of grace is gone. Their time to know Jesus as their Savior has passed. And so the next thing that we see Jesus say is, 
don't lose your sense of urgency. This is so critically important that you understand that you don't have all the time in the world. That, that people are dying without an opportunity to hear how much God loves them, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See what he says to them? Revelation 3, 3b. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And on top of all, all this stuff that happens daily, Jesus says, I have promised to return and I will return and there will be a day of judgment. So don't think that you have all the time in the world. Have a sense of urgency. And when we feel there's no need for urgency, that's going to lead us to apathy. Jesus said, work while it is day before the night comes when no man can work because he said he wanted us to understand the critical need for urgency. The next thing Jesus says to this congregation is, remember. We underline that word, Revelation 3.3, the very first word, remember. It's so important. And what does he want them to remember? Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. One of the things Jesus says to this church that's causing them to slip into apathy is they've lost their sense of history. They've, they've forgotten that they were given a huge gift. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. The, the people in Sardis are like people who, who had parents, who, who worked hard, came up from the very bottom rung on the ladder, worked and worked and worked and climbed and climbed and climbed. And at the end of the day, all that hard work was rewarded and they gained a huge legacy of wealth, which they could pass on to the next generation. And what Jesus is saying is all that spiritual wealth, that the Apostle Paul worked so hard to bring you, that John and Timothy and Luke walked miles and miles and miles so that they could finally, all the way from Jerusalem, arrive there in Sardis and share the gospel with you. All that hard work that they put in so that they could give you Jesus. Have you forgotten it? There's someone in almost all of our lives that loved us enough to share the gospel with us and probably put in a fair amount of work with us. I've shared my story of Ray and Marlene Urie, who, who literally took me into their home day after day after day. Their son, Steve, who dragged me to church and and I, that's a piece of my personal history that, that can't be forgotten. You have a, a very similar piece of personal history of, of someone who loved you enough to say, hey, you don't have to carry this huge burden of, of guilt and sin around with you anymore. You have a God who was willing to send his son Jesus to die for you so that your sins could be 
washed away in his blood and, and you could wake up every morning free and clear, your, your footsteps a lot lighter. And, and if you were anything like me, you were probably resistant at times. Maybe some of you grew up with Christian parents and they worked hard to, to pass this faith on to you. And when you were a teenager or a young adult, you turned your back on it. It was extremely painful for your parents. And they just prayed, maybe worked on you a little bit, but they knew they couldn't push too hard. Maybe you, like I, had a friend that just wanted to share Jesus with you. Churches have this too, collectively. Think about the people that worked hard to start this church and bring it to where it is today. Many of them are you, who still volunteer and work hard every weekend and on many other days as well, so that we can have a church and, and have a place where we share the gospel. We can't ever lose sight of the fact that this is a gift, as, as Jesus says. It's something that we have received from others who worked hard and from the Jesus who gave his very life so that we could have it. So write this down. Apathy can come when we forget that what we have is a legacy. It's something that's been passed down to us. And here's the final one. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Will you circle the word never? Because that word is so important in that verse. That, that what Jesus is promising here is amazing. That he wants us to have his purity. That's in, in the book of Revelation, that's what, what this is always about when it talks about being dressed in white. It's, it's, it's talking about how we are offered the righteousness of Christ. And it's called a robe of righteousness. And Jesus has woven this robe of righteousness out of his own righteous acts that he lived perfectly day in and day out when he lived his 30 plus years here on earth. And out of all the righteous acts that he did, he wove you spiritually a garment that he wants to pass on to every one of us. In essence, this is what a church is. It's a clothing store where we come to get the garments we need to one day sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb and sit, sit in that feast confidently knowing that we belong there, not because of anything that we've done, but because Jesus has given us this beautiful robe of his righteousness and called and invited us to come in and sit at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And notice what he says here. This is going to be a great victory. And, and you're going to celebrate that victory. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. Be assured that the victory is yours. In my weekly email that I send out every week to invite people and remind them of what the, the week's message is, I, I, I talked about what I think can be one of the chief things that can cause us to fall into apathy. I talked about the Cardinals 8-1 record and what a beautiful thing that is for all of us who are major Cardinals fans. 
but how there's constant conversation in, in the reporters about what game is going to be their wake-up call? When, when are they going to go out and fail miserably because all of a sudden they've, they've become overconfident? they become a little arrogant thinking that victory is assured. And the moment that we think that victory is assured, we have to be careful. In the book of Corinthians, Paul writes, whoever thinks he is standing firm needs to watch out lest he falls. But, but I want you to think about this. It's kind of interesting because remember when I started, I said the devil gets us coming and going. He gets us through adversity, but he also gets us through an, a lack of adversity. Here's another case like that. Apathy comes when we feel supremely confident that we are going to be victorious. But do you know the other place where apathy comes? Apathy also comes when we are supremely confident that we are going to fail. In psychology class, when I was a freshman in college, we all had that freshman in college psychology class, right? I remember one day my professor coming in. We were all sitting at the desk. Very first thing he did in class is he said, guys, today I'm going to start out by having you uh, just write a list of some things. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm just going to... You know, I just need you to take this list and I'll explain it afterwards. So he starts going down through this list. At first, he goes slowly. One word at a time, giving us plenty of time to write. But as he continued to list things, he gradually sped up a little more and a little more and a little more until he was just ripping off the list of words like that. Do you know what most of us did at that point? We put our pencils down because we knew we couldn't keep up. We knew that no matter how fast we wrote, we were going to fail to get those words down on that list. And that's something important for us to understand as believers. That we must never, on the one hand, let the devil convince us that there is nothing that, that can ever break us. And yet, on the other hand, we must never let the devil convince us that there is no way that we can have the victory. And you see, this passage is there for when we get to that side of things. And when the devil is trying to say, say stop caring. Apathy is the right answer because there's no way you're going to win. There's no way you're going to get this. And you just... Mentally, you check out at that point because you just say, huh, it's not that victory is assured for me. Defeat is assured. So I'm putting my pencil down. And that's why Jesus comes to this church. For some of those people who were convinced by the devil's lies that their, their sins were too big. Their guilt was too deep. There was no way that the blood of Christ could wash their sins away. Victory is not assured. Defeat is assured. And so Jesus comes and he says, you're going to be victorious. You're going to have the clothes that Jesus has for you. And I will never blot your name from the book of life, but will acknowledge you before my father and his angels. 
What Jesus is really saying is we have to stay connected with our ultimate destiny that he has promised to us. So apathy comes also when we become disconnected from the destiny that Jesus has promised us by giving us his robe of righteousness. Let me go back and just read you a couple paragraphs from this article again, because I I think we can see all these things that were happening in Sardis happening right here, right now. And these are challenges that we face. We're no longer in that same environment where we as a church can do the same old things the same old way and expect to get the same results that, 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 that churches got before. We've got to find a new way of conveying the same old beautiful gospel message of Jesus Christ to people. We're not going to be able to jam it down people's throats. We're going to have to meet people, which is why we say, we say this phrase over and over again at, at our church. We're going to have to meet people where they're at with this beautiful message of love. The fastest growing religious faith in the United States is the group collectively labeled the nuns who spurn organized religion in favor of non-defined skepticism about faith. About two-thirds of the nuns say they are former believers. These are people that once believed in Christ. And this is hugely significant, the author says. The trend is very much that Americans raised in Christian households are shunning the religion of their parents for any number of reasons. Every denomination in the U.S. is losing both affiliation and church attendance. In some ways, the country is merely a half generation behind the declining rate of Christianity in other Western countries like the United Kingdom, Australia, Germany, Sweden, Norway, France, and the Netherlands. In those countries, what were once churches are now art galleries, cafes, and pubs. In Germany, more than 50% say they do not believe in any God, and this number is declining rapidly. In the UK, church attendance has halved since the 1970s. This is where our, our entire Western world is going, in other words. And yet, this is what I think to myself every time I hear about this. If we, here's why I had you write this down earlier. If we will stay connected to the grace of God and and think to ourselves, it is by the grace of God, as Paul says, that I am who I am. And then live our lives every day being thankful for what we do have in Christ. I believe that one thing can cure apathy and also help us present a very attractive message to people. It's what the Apostle Paul did. You see, we, we can go with our, our, our shoulders slumped at news like this, or we can realize this world that we now live in, in the United States, is almost exactly the very same world that the Apostle Paul went out into when he shared the gospel. And when he started sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, there were almost no Christians. So what did he do? Instead of apathy, he loved. He started every day reconnecting himself with the grace of God. Read the letters of Paul. They're, they're almost every one of them just this pure, 
line into God's heart of grace for him and for everyone else. He, he was constantly reconnecting with God's grace and forgiveness. And then he was constantly saying things like, no matter what the circumstances, I'm content, I'm happy, I'm grateful. To the point where we read some of that and we, we think to ourselves, how could, how could a person that went through so much adversity still have so much gratitude? But, but being connected to the grace of God and then with a heart full of gratitude, he was able to go out into a world that was this world. It was filled with nuns. And he went out and he loved those people. And he just reflected the love of Christ in everything that he did. And then he shared the message of Christ with people. And slowly, gradually, imperceptibly, the Holy Spirit grew these churches. And what, what Jesus is really calling the people in Sardis back to, what he's really calling us back to is just... Stay connected to that cross. Stay, stay connected to Jesus and all that he's truly done for you. And never, ever, ever forget how much he loves you. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you carry guilt and shame and sin around. But that's all gone. And you can just bask in the love of Christ that says, I'm a dearly loved child of God, bought with his blood. And then as... As your heart fills up with all this amazing love that, that Christ has shown for you, and you live your life every day going, what am I grateful for today? Even in the midst of this adversity, what am I grateful for today? And you begin to reflect that in your life. I, I don't think we have to at all think to ourselves that the church is relegated to a horrible future. I think we're just simply having to wake up to the reality that our victory is sure. Satan's defeat is assured. And now it's our job just to take the love of Christ out into this world. We have to be among these few. Look at what it says, Revelation 3, 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. What he means there is... A few people who still know Jesus, connect with his grace daily, and live lives filled with gratitude. They will walk with me. That's what we need to do every day, dressed in white, for they are worthy. So there is a sure hope for an apathetic church, Jesus. Go back up to Revelation 3.1 above. We didn't hit that. Notice what it says to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him. These are the words of Jesus who holds the seven spirits of God. He holds the power of the Holy Spirit and the seven stars, the, the pastors of the church. They're held in his hand. He cares about us. So there's a sure hope for an apathetic church, Jesus. And if the, ap if the opposite of apathy is energy, and here's what you can write in that second to last one is, an energetic church is a product of God's grace. Grace equals gratitude equals energy. So how do we close out? What, what, what does Jesus want you to do? Examine yourselves. That's what he says. 
to see whether you are in the faith, to see whether you are daily reconnecting with forgiveness and love and mercy. You know, it's so easy for us to think that Christianity is all about the commandments and all about, you know, trying to obey, obey, obey. Jesus says, first, connect in relationship with me. Connect to my love and forgiveness. Connect to my grace. And you will change and become the person I want you to be. Are you doing that? Examine yourself. Do you really, really, truly believe that God loves you no matter what? And he showed it by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is actually living in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Unless, of course, you've put in God put God's grace to the side. You no longer really think that's important to to get his love and his forgiveness and his grace every day. If you put that to the side, yeah, gradually your faith will wane. So look at Revelation 3.3a. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Here's how I look at it. Bottom line, grace is God's caffeine. It's grace. God's love and mercy in Christ is what wakes us up. And the more grace I receive, the more gratitude I possess, and the more energetic I become. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, please prevent us as individual Christ followers from ever being apathetic about this faith that you've given us. Help us to care deeply about the love that you've shown us by sending us your one and only son, Jesus. And help us to care about others who have not yet heard that message. Help us to never fall into the traps caused by all these factors that we talked about earlier. And where we have, Lord, we are so sorry for the times when we've allowed ourselves to become apathetic about Christ and grace and our faith. Lord, strengthen us by your Spirit so that we are daily reconnecting with your grace in the words of the Bible, daily remembering all that we have to be grateful for and being reassured of our victory that you have for us because we have walked into your clothing store and been clothed with your local righteousness. And we lift up all these prayers to you in Jesus' name. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. There's nothing Jesus wants more for you than that you be comforted, that you have peace in your heart knowing that you're Your sins are gone. And yet, he doesn't want any of us to become comfortable and forget that others need the same comfort that we've been given. He doesn't want us to forget this amazing legacy that he's given us by dying on the cross for us. He wants us to get out there and share it with others and build the church. So it's it's an interesting juxtaposition. Be completely comforted. Your sins are forgiven. But don't fall asleep. 
There's a lot of work to do sharing that comfort with others. Let me send you out into your week with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. If you have a prayer, if you have a prayer you want prayed with you, just stay in your seat. We'll see you out on the patio.